welcome again to the Southwest Climate Outlook. Mike. My beard is now almost covering the, uh, the microphone. <laughs> Actually, I was going to comment this because, you know, I do uh, admire that, that thing on your, on your chin, but it doesn't seem like it's getting longer. So I feel like you're, you're kind of set in a, a certain, certain length. No, it, it's actually, um, I could braid it now and uh, put some beads in it, kind of like Captain Jack Sparrow. I'm not sure how much longer I can take this. <laughs> so I, I'm walking up prior to this podcast and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to mention Mike's beard this time. It's, it's getting old. And like, I, I don't know. It's just a habit, I guess. <laughs> Every Zoom meeting I'm on, somebody mentions my pandemic beard. Yeah. Well, I, I apologize to all the listeners. We'll, we'll, we'll end this quickly. <laughs> yeah. Beard, beardwatch.org. We should put a snapshot of, of that because uh, we yeah. want to have a record of. Well, I, yeah, beardwatch.org. Okay. You, it's, a, it's, it's the links. That's is right. that a thing? No. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. I, if it is, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, buckle up, I think, because uh, this, is, this is it. This is the time. I, I love this. We're, we're, we're headed into... The monsoon season, you know, we, we now have an excuse. We, we could have an excuse to do these every one to two weeks where we don't have the time to do that. But like, there's just so much to talk about moving forward. Uh, yeah, the monsoon season. I hope everybody's as excited as we are. So Mike, so for this podcast, I thought we'd sort of review uh, the first part of uh, June. We're, we're at the midpoint of June. We're a couple of days past the official start of the monsoon season. So let's Let's take us to where how we got here for for the first part of June, and it was it was interesting. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. Then uh, a little bit about the fire season because that's the big news, at least around Tucson and and actually uh, Phoenix for the, for that matter as well as uh, the bushfire has erupted. And we'll spend a little bit of time talking about fire as is this time of year. It's 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 the the topic du jour. Uh, and then we'll we'll get into the monsoon, some forecasts, and. We're going to roll out again our version two of the monsoon fantasy game. That's right. So we, we road tested this last year. Uh, we came up with the better version, still a work in progress, but it's a little game uh, that we're going to play throughout the monsoon se- season that allows us to sort of talk about different aspects of the monsoon uh, and the numbers of, of, of these different uh, uh, stations around, around uh, the Southwest. So what do you think, Mike? That's awesome, Zach. Yeah. And the, the, Improved monsoon fantasy, man. You and Ben pulled some all-nighters, uh, <laughs> figuring that out. I'm still catching up, so that's my excuse. If I lose, it's because I wasn't paying attention. We'll get to that. Okay, so let's start with uh, with the recap. And what I think is most important is right around the first of the of the month. So a little bit, maybe the 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 last couple days of of May and into the really the first week it kind of felt like the monsoon. I mean, it was, I had never experienced, I think, late May, early June, where there was a bunch of humidity, there was some convection. It was almost like the cicadas, it, it, it almost felt like July 1. Yeah, and what did you call it? Do you remember? I coined that, too soon. It was the too soon. What happened there and how regional, was that a Tucson thing? Was that more of a, um, a sort of Southern Arizona, uh, Southwest New Mexico? Like, take us through that, that uh, late May, early, um, early June event, if you will. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so we've been talking kind of the last couple of months over our Zoom, Zoom casts that we've been doing here 
about the weather pattern um, that has led to some precipitation we saw in March and April, and even a little bit in May, was this, this trough off of the California coast, us getting kind of caught in a ridge, and then some troughs that were starting to descend across the eastern part of the country. So if you can kind of envision that the gears of the circulation of the trough off of the west coast, us being under the ridge, the, the anticyclone, and then more of these low pressure systems off to the east, we, we were getting into these kind of slow moving blocking patterns where we were getting caught in underneath the ridge. And so that flow, if you can envision it, off of the California coast at the mid-levels is counterclockwise and we're under the clockwise flow. So what that was doing is it was threading up some subtropical moisture, not unlike you'd see with a Gulf surge event during the monsoon system, monsoon season, but actually kind of drawing it up into the Southwest. So we had the, the increasingly long days, that, that May, late May, early June sun, but we were also dynamically importing the moisture into the region. So it felt monsoony, but it wasn't, it wasn't monsoony in the sense of, you know, the monsoon is really going to be that seasonal wind direction with the building of the subtropical ridge. Right. Uh, it, it, it felt like the monsoon in the sense that uh, we had higher, I think the dew point temperatures were around 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty darn high for that early of a time. We had some convection. I think to the southeast of us here in Tucson, there were, there were storms that didn't make it into Tucson proper. I think there was like a trace or, you know, a little bit of rain at the Tucson airport on, on, on June 1. In fact, when you look at the, the stations uh, around the southeastern part of um, Arizona, you don't actually see much rain, but it sort of belies the fact that there was some available. It just wasn't organized enough and, and, and widespread. So they were these very isolated, isolated systems. The level of moisture wasn't probably sufficient enough for widespread convection. You know, we had some precipitable water that was, I think, near record a couple of days. It was the week after Memorial Day weekend. So it was kind of the 31st, June 1st sort of transition. And then it was, it was unsettled, strangely enough. You know, it's, it's, of course, I was asked by an interviewer in mid-May at that point saying, okay, is it, you know, what are the chances of us seeing any precipitation in Arizona until the monsoon season? You know, and as the dutiful climatologist, I said, if you look at the climatological record of daily precipitation, the May 31st and June 1st are some of the driest days in the records going back. So I was like, well, that, you know, climatology would suggest then that there's very little chance we see anything until the monsoon. And then lo and behold, you know, I say it out loud and I conjured up some kind of crazy, very unusual weather situation where we were getting that moisture pulled in here. But again, like you said, the convection was fairly spotty. It was largely light precipitation. I do think that there were some people, if they were lucky, were underneath some of those cells, maybe got a quarter an inch to two and a half an inch. But it did lead to some lightning starts, which lightning starts at the end of May, early June are not particularly common for Arizona. What do you mean by lightning starts? I'm sorry, lightning wildfire starts. Lightning starting fire, yes. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. I guess when I was, when we were in it, uh, I had a couple questions. Well, one for you is, do you remember something in, in, in the past since you've been here, 
paying close attention to the monsoon. Do you remember anything like, like that first part of June? There's two situations, and I think they're really different. There was a couple of years ago that we ended up having precipitation in late May. Well, this is actually two years ago. We had some precipitation in late May that was due to a cold weather system dropping down south. And that was what that, remember the nice, the beautiful May, the probably the best May we've ever had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had that. And then there was another Memorial Day weekend that was very similar in 2009. Similar to that, like a cold? Yep, absolutely. So kind of like late winter right. dropping down the southwest. And then on the other flip side, if you remember a couple years ago, and I can't remember if this was 2015 or 2016, when we had some of the early, very early East Pacific hurricanes. Right, I think. Yep. Yeah. And, and but, but that was June 15th. And that- you know, there, there were some, if you remember, there was, a, there was an event where it rained in Phoenix in the first week of June. Yeah. And it, it was like a trace or a hundredth and it broke the record. It broke the daily record. Right. And um, I think we ended up getting like a 10th, but it, but it was one, of, it was when we were coming out of either the, the Godzilla El Nino and we had that really, really warm East Pacific and East Pacific was cranking out hurricanes in May and early June. And we had a recurver come up and that, that was the closest. And this wasn't like either. Those are completely different scenarios than what we had. Tropical storm, a, a winter type circulation. And, and this is, I mean, you can't say it's a monsoon circulation at all. It's a kind of a novel pattern, I guess, but yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't I, seem like it should be that novel, though. I guess is is the other question that I was I was pondering. It's like, well, to get precip in June, all you really need is is for there to be a moisture source, right? All you yeah. need for there to be is like a low pressure system that comes comes by that can help funnel up uh, moisture from from the subtropics or from the tropics. You've got a bunch of heating going on, and you've got some of the other ingredients for convection. It just seems like we should have more of those. It's a great question. I think it's novel to us in the short time scale, like because we haven't seen it, this kind of particularly, the situation in probably the last decade or so. But yeah, I think this is worth kind of digging into the longer term record. And I, I did, and I got distracted, and I didn't, I didn't dig it out any further, but I think we should try to track it down. So, so this idea of an active weather pattern and you know the movement of low pressure systems kind of in the mid-latitudes in May and June is absolutely common. I think it, it had to do with the, the, the depth of the latitude of the low was a little bit further south than I think you normally see right. it. And, and it was slow moving because it got blocked. And so I think that it was able to sort of draw up that subtropical moisture in a more effective manner than something that was really transient and moved quickly. But yeah, it, it is interesting because this time of year, the subtropics are producing more moisture. As the sun angle gets higher, it's getting juicier there. And that whole moisture boundary is moving north with that sun angle. Would you, you get that alignment, you can, you can do it. Would you think then in a, in a June or a May that is much cooler than average, let's say, that there would, and, and, and which wasn't the case this time, but I'm just trying to think of like, well, how would we pull the, the atmospheric circulation a bit further south so that we would have those active weather patterns that are quite common actually tap into the moisture in uh, a little bit further south. I mean, so could a, just a, a cooler type 
spring season do that? Would we, would we expect to see perhaps these kinds of scenarios in, 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 in cooler uh, seasons? Yeah, you don't typically. So kind of in the April, May, June, April, May, June transition period, you're starting to see that kind of tug of war with the mid-latitude weather systems are, are still quite active and it's running into, as you move through that system, the, the whole Northern hemisphere is starting to warm up and you're starting to see a retraction of that, that jet stream. And so then you, climatologically, you, you'd start to see that transition move north. But the, um, I'm sorry, I've got, got a lot of notifications going off on my computer. Yeah, I hear Slack in the background. I was like a- in, in Hangouts, this is just the, the day and age. And if, if, I, if I mute them, I can't hear you. So it's like, a, it's a trade off. Then I, then I have to do the lip reading. That's okay, I'll, uh, that was me slacking you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we should just slack each other. The, um, so, okay. So, yeah. So if it was a cooler spring, would you have, you could have a, a you know, a, a much deeper mid-latitude storm track late in the spring. I think often what ends up happening is though through the whole Northern hemisphere that pushes the whole subtropical moisture boundary further South, right? So it's like, you can't quite once you, if you trade one for the other, you lose access to the moisture. And like cold, windy springs, like 2011, was just a crazy deep, cold, low pressure system that um, really plagued the Southwest. And it was probably related to a, the La Nina event of that year. And that was what drove the fire weather of the, that made the wallow fire just tear up you know, most of the White Mountains, because it had that really strong, cold, deep air mass driving a really strong gradient of temperature, which then produced the winds that pushed that fire um, like crazy. Yeah, and it's not, it's also where the, the position of the, the, that low pressure system too, and it, like you said, it was sort of off the coast of California, and, and then there was a, a ridge in, an, in, an, in another trough, and if, but if you moved the low pressure off California slightly to the west or to the east, it would have been much different here as, as, as well. So there's like subtlety in the position as well that creates perhaps like just a, an unlikely uh, chain of events. And there's real sharp gradients that can occur kind of in the spring too with temperature and moisture. This spring, you know, kind of in May when we were talking about it is the low in the ridge and the in the the low off to the east weren't particularly deep or strong. They're kind of weak and sloppy and kind of broke into pieces. And one of, at some point, I even think that the the low or the I can't even remember the the whole circulation pattern, but it may have been a cutoff low that kind of wandered around too, which is not uncommon this time of year. But at that latitude, I think it it was able to sort of work with that moisture boundary that's to the south of us right now, which is really what we're looking for now is for to have a kind of a more natural progression north related to the subtropical ridge extending north and then being able to interact with it and kind of move the moisture around the southwest. Okay, and so that lasted pretty much close to like eight or nine days. So there was moisture around, there was like we had some clouds. There was cloud sightings, which was... <laughs> cloud sightings. I know. Isn't it amazing? We're, we actually had some decent clouds, right? It's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was June. I didn't know what month it was. Yeah. How spatial was that pattern? Was this just a southeast Arizona kind of thing? Or the, the, was it also common 
further north in Flagstaff and, 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 and west in Phoenix? It was really just looking at, again, the precip wasn't particularly heavy. You know, New, New Mexico really should be turning on right now and um, seeing a lot of that June activity. And it has not been all that busy in New Mexico, uh, more so. And it's, it's interesting, the events that we have had have been really Eastern Arizona and Southeastern Arizona. And there's been some scattered convection. Western Arizona has completely been out of play. Maybe saw some, you know, some unusual humidity, but not really any precip. The convection was, a lot of it was confined to mountain tops, was sort of driven by that. Anything else in terms of rainfall or uh, moisture to talk about up until today? You know, it's, we normally wouldn't talk about it at all. <laughs> you know, for, for, you know, the May 15th, the June 15th, there, wasn't, there typically isn't meant to talk about. So I think that us yeah. having said anything about anything happening is, I think we did a good job on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well hopefully that's a harbinger of what's to come and we'll get to that. Absolutely. Okay, so it is our heat season. Uh, we talked a little bit about on the last pod sort of running some numbers for Phoenix and, and Tucson in terms of the number of days above 100. And Tucson, the last time we came in, sorry, Phoenix, the last time we did the podcast was sort of tied for the most days above 100 degrees at the Phoenix airport. And, um, and it is, right now, it is uh, running number two. So it fell behind 1989. Uh, in fact, 1989, uh, at this time of year, had experienced 38 days of uh, 100 plus weather and and 2020 this year is is 33 tied with 2001 so it's been pretty darn hot uh, in phoenix and in tucson uh through mid-june we've had 13 days of 100 degree fahrenheit temperatures or greater and the average for the month of june is on the order of 18 so that's over the long-term historical record and we're definitely going to beat that this year. Looking at the forecast for the next eight days, it's, they're all forecasted to be um, a few degrees above, above 100. So we're going to come in somewhere in the vicinity of the mid-20s, I would say, for the number of days in June above, above uh, 100 degrees. So you remember what our bets were? I forgot. I remember what my number was. You don't remember my number? No, I don't remember your number. <laughs> what was... <laughs> I, I totally forgot. Darn. Um, what was your number? 25. 25. There's definitely a shot at that. Boy, I don't even remember. All these days are like interminable. Like my memory is like, is shot now. Um, was I higher or lower? Do you recall? Let's wait for the final number and then I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll do that in July then. I will, we'll make sure to prepare for, for that. So just a quick aside, Zach, I don't know if you can look out your window real quick, but the, the Bighorn fire is just absolutely blown up. No. Uh, so that's it. So that's a good transition, Mike, because we wanted to talk about, about fire. So that's the big story here in, in Southeast Arizona is the Bighorn fire uh, that started during that event that we just spoke about. Uh, I think it was on the June 5th, dry June lightning. 5th. Yep. Striking Push Ridge, igniting a fire. And it's been blazing ever since and providing some really like kind of frightening images on, on, on Twitter and whatnot of they had to evacuate parts of the foothills in, in, in Tucson. Uh, and so what are you, what are you seeing? I, I, I don't have a, a window view, Mike. I'm in her back bedroom and I can't quite see out the window, but I can see the Catalina's out the window. I'm going to just peek out there right now. 
the cloud right now looks like a pyrocumulus. It's a, a full, I mean, and this is a very dry day. So there's no moisture in the atmosphere. So this is all completely smoke at this point. It is just absolutely kind of a terrifying image looking at that right now. It's very much, if anybody was here in the Aspen fire of 2003, it's right along the ridgetop and unfortunately pretty close to Summerhaven at this point. So I don't know what the fate of, uh, of that is right now. It's a big fire. They've got 700 personnel working it, eight hotshot crews. There's been a number of slurry drops and a whole bunch of helicopters. They've been, they've been fighting it for, for quite some time. They had a back burn in the low desert, which was kind of interesting. Mike, you, I don't know if you have anything that, to say about that. It was something that I've never heard of, but I don't pay too much attention to wildland fire management. It's been a really interesting fire to watch from Tucson. We haven't had we haven't had one of this size on Mount Lemmon that I can remember since 2003 living here. And the fact that the fire started in the low elevations in really typically kind of fuel limited areas, kind of lower desert where it typically wouldn't carry fire. So I think that we've, we've had a couple of discussions offline about it's really possible the last couple of wet years, really the wet falls, which drive a lot of that lower elevation desert vegetation may be the culprit for this fire being able to carry itself, you know, as far as it had through the lower elevations. And interacting with some invasive species in some areas and um, burning around saguaros, which are not fire adapted. It's very, very problematic for, for saguaros. But today it's, so it's, it's made it up to you know, it's burning at 8,000, 9,000 feet right now. And, and it's burning in an area that burned severely in 2003. So those are, and, and it's in a year that's not a drought year. Like we wouldn't, we really consider this, we've had good winter precipitation two years in a row. So that, you know, the typical way we'd look at kind of fuel metrics would suggest that that wouldn't lead to the, the fire uh, carrying as much, but I think the short-term fire weather conditions, and today it's very windy, there's a red flag warning, and the aspect of the fire, it's, it, the fire is just working with, it's moving uphill and with the wind. So I think that those, those things together are really carrying this forward now. Yeah, so a red flag warning, Warning. I had to look this up because I forget the criteria every, every year, but it's, it's basically when there's really low humidity, uh, less than 15%, when winds are sustained for three or, three or more hours at over 20 miles per hour. Yeah, we had a couple of days ago, you know, mid-level, low pressure, high pressure kind of funneling in the, the moisture to Southeast Arizona, which led to some heavy rain across Southeast Arizona. And thankfully no lightning strikes out here on the Catalinas um, to start any new fires, but it's given away to a much drier air mass has moved through on the westerlies. And now we've got a really strong westerly wind working, pushing the fire uphill right now and across the ridgeline. Historically, the monsoon starts around July 4th. So there's, you know, another two weeks worth of likely very, very dry conditions, probably longer too, because it takes some time for the ground to moisten up in earnest after the monsoon begins. So uh, we've got quite a bit more time for there to be fires. It is, it is the season. And there's other ones burning in Arizona and New Mexico as, as, as well. I think in, in Arizona, I can count 10, 11 fires at a greater, what, what are these, greater than uh, 1,000 acres. The other one uh, of note that's made the news recently is the bushfire right out uh, close to Phoenix, 
right on the, the sort of edges of uh, Roosevelt Lake. It sort of blew up in the last couple of days. That's a big fire. It's currently the largest in the country, I believe. That's right. That's right. Uh, and that is burning in, I don't know if you said this, Mike, but that's burning in the lower desert as well. This really comes out of the fire briefings from the National Inter- Interagency Fire Center was that there was this concern with the lower to mid elevations in the deserts, the fuel loading. You know, we run into this climatological period, which is typically very dry, low relative humidities and, and hot. And so that, that really drives these fires. And, but this June was so weird because, you know, we end up kind of bobbing around with some unusually humid days, which I think could help slow things down, but it also then led to that fire start. I, you know, the point being is that, you know, the, the human start fires in that driest part of the year can lead to these really large fires. But we've had this weird mix of the, the lockdown with COVID leading to, you know, either less recreation or maybe more, more recreation, more illicit recreation in some areas. I think that that that's kind of an interesting background dynamic. And then this, you know, a, a lightning strike in early June is not terribly common. And then that's what started this fire. After, you know, and again, it's that weird convergence of having a couple of good wet winters leading to some of that enhanced fuel loadings is leaving the deserts um, kind of primed for this. It just goes to show you that just how fragile, I think, or how fire prone this, this region is, because if it's wet, that's good for one year in terms of su- potentially suppressing fire in, in that year, but it also sets the stage for fire in, in future years. And if you're dry, you don't get the fuel load buildup for future years, but you're like more prone in that year. So, and you know, for the most part, you get these oscillations, you know, wet and dry, there's quite a bit of variability. So, I mean, this is maybe stating a very obvious point, but we're, we're basically in a, in, a, in a very fire prone region. That's the classic, you know, Tom Swetnam, Julio Betancourt paper from 20 years ago on the cycling. You're behind? Is that what you're telling me? Um, well, no, I think that you, you're in, you intuited a paper in science. So <laughs> good for you. The wet, dry conditions can lead to fuel loading and then fuel drying. And that can, over time, fill in the landscape with, with fires. And if you can have this fuel loading and then a really long dry stretch without any fire starts, some of that vegetation like annuals will just kind of break down and crumble and go away. But I think if the timing isn't quite right, where you're starting to grow stuff that's got some access to water and is gonna actually kind of grow, then you're gonna end up having fuel loadings. And then, you know, and finally too, that fire in, you know, some of the sky islands and certainly some of the forests, uh, most of the forests around here are fire adapted and they need periodic fire to um, clear out understories. And so, you know, this fire burning across the Catalinas, ideally is a, it's a, a slow moving, low intensity fire that does not burn up a lot of the, the trees and especially the ponderosa pine. But unfortunately you get a really bad fire weather day like today. And I think it can just, can be too much and push the fire too hot and too fast. So there's other there's one other really large fire in, in, in Arizona, and that's the Magnum fire, no, Mangum fire, sorry, which is, and that is close to the Arizona-Utah border, maybe uh, 50 miles or so west of, uh, of, of Page. And then in uh, New Mexico, there's currently 
four fires larger than a thousand acres. Yeah, Arizona is um, it has had much more acreage burn than 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 New Mexico, but there's still quite a bit of of time left in 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 our fire season. Pretty eventful from the standpoint of people living in at, at, at the base of Mount Lemmon and in Tucson. Uh, it's it's a ever present sight, bad air quality. But yeah, anything else you want to add there, Mike? No, sorry, I keep I keep looking out the window. No, I think that uh, man, I just I just hope uh, hope everything's okay up there on the top of the mountain. Did they evacuate uh, Summerhaven yet? They did. I think Summerhaven is just it's all firefighters now and. Now, part of that burned down, what, 10 years ago, was it? 2003, with the Aspen fire. Yeah, it's been a while. There's a lot of people up there, so let's hope they can uh, make some, a lot of firefighters, let's hope they can make some progress and and beat it back. Be be safe, yep. All right, so monsoon forecast, Mike. What do we know from the people who do this for a living? It's a good question. Well, (laughs) there is... So we're, so we're recording the day before the official CPC forecast come out for the rest of the monsoon season. So I thought you might have had privy, pretty privy info, but they don't. They my early out. access pass. No, my early access pass expired. Okay, I don't have that anymore. Um, so yeah, I bet we can guess what it's going to be, though. I bet we can guess too. Yeah, what's your guess? My guess is there's no forecast. It's an it's an equal chances forecast. My guess is equal chances as well. And that would be for the one month and the July, August, September, three month. Right. And that's what it was a month ago. Yeah. And, and again, it's not, it's not a slight in any way. I think it's, there's just very little to grab onto right now to understand what, what we might be looking at for the rest of the season. What about some of the dynamic models? Have you looked under their hoods? I'm looking at the North American multi-model ensemble right now. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that. Uh, I haven't looked at the NMME as of late. I've looked at the eight, the six to 10 and the eight to 14 day forecast. So the, the eight to 14 day puts us at July 1st, right? So we're, we're now, we're getting into kind of climatological typical start of activity as far as dew points when we really start to look at that window. I mean, I think that the, the 15th to 30th, I think makes sense to sort of wide guardrails around the season. But then if we're looking at the onset of activity into Southern Arizona, now New Mexico should be seeing more activity now and through the next couple of weeks, but the outlook for New Mexico right now is actually a a lean towards below average precipitation in both the, the six to 10 and the eight to 14 in that kind of early season monsoon region. And then it does, have a slight below average uh, probability anomaly for Southeast Arizona. But, but I want to note though, it's, it is the lowest shift in that um, tercile. So it's a, it's a signal to, and if you read the discussion, there's some signs on the dynamical models that it's not ideal, but it's very low confidence at this point. So I think we're really still in this wait and see. There's not a real strong, lean in any of the forecasts that we're going we're gonna to run behind very quickly, I guess. What about some of the indicators? Like, you know, it also, the monsoon also starts earlier in Mexico around the Sierra Madre Occidental. And 
looking at the precipitation there, uh, seven, 15 day uh, totals, they, it seems like it's basically been near average for the most part. There's been some rain and it, 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 it's been uh, close to average there. So I don't know if that tells us one way or the other. Uh, it has started raining uh, in the Sierra Madres, but uh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not copious by any means. I pulled together some long-term climatological maps of ridge position and, and precipitable water and precipitation. And you know what I was struck by was the June 15th to June 30th window, the, how quickly there is climatologically a change from you know, southern Mexico up into the southwest. It happens very quickly. And so we're, we're now in this forecast window of where you'd expect to see, like, what, what's happening right now isn't necessarily, like, if it's terribly bad down there and it's quiet, doesn't necessarily mean two weeks from now that that won't have completely switched around and shifted right. north, which is why, you know, I think we're, we're kind of in this messy. But it's a leading indicator, right? Like, leading indicator, but, it, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a leading indicator before it has happened. Almost, you know what I mean? It's like it can happen really quickly. Like we could in a couple, we could have the same conversation five days from now and see that it has raced north, right? right. The models have been kind of all over the place. The GAF, so the Global Forecasting System, the Ensemble, and it's, it's suggesting like on the five-day totals that it is raining. It's raining in, in Mexico, but it's raining less than it normally would be for this time of year which I thought was, was kind of interesting. And then if you kind of move that forward, it, it evens out a little bit, but it seems to be a little bit slower than climatology. So, but again, that is not a deal breaker by any point. Right. Uh, and I think we're, again, we're just, there's so little to grab onto. The Gulf of California sea surface temperatures are, they're slightly above average, you know, so they, they seem to be on track. So I was looking at that this morning and, yeah. uh, and I was actually trying to find a comparison to last year and I found it in a tweet by a meteorologist in uh, Phoenix, but I couldn't actually find, um, I mean, the, 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 the tweet made a reference to the fact that the Gulf of Cal California sea surface temperatures were close to five degrees Celsius warmer than they were last year. Uh, but I couldn't verify that because I couldn't find the data for, for, for last year at this time. But for the most part, they are sort of much of the water is it's it's above average. In in fact, for most of that Gulf, it is on the order of close to two degrees two degrees C warmer than average. And most most of it is above the twenty six degrees Celsius sea surface temperature threshold. Not a threshold, but it's it's one of the the markers that uh, that uh, people look at to see if there's favorable moisture av availability that can then waft into our region. Yeah, you, you got kind of these, these kind of breakpoint thresholds, like 27 and a half, um, and then I think 29, the upper end. They're all going to relate to the warmth of that water and its ability to, uh, how much moisture it's basically going to give off to the overlying atmosphere and create the instability. And, and we're looking for that as being a, a really important moisture source on the Arizona side here of, uh, for those Gulf surges. So they're not going to really occur until we start to hit some of those um, threshold temperatures. But like we saw last week and earlier in the month, if you get the, the low and the high in the right spot, it'll still kind of funnel up moisture this way. So you can end up in the, in the end of June still having this kind of pre-monsoon 
um, transient weather, these lows moving through that will still push moisture up into the region. One of the forecast discussions I read, I think from the Tucson office a couple days ago, though, was, was suggesting that the, the months, the subtropical ridge does push north and we get into some, some east southerly and easterly flow, even as early as next week. But again, it's, it's kind of early for it to really settle in and, and for us to be in it for any extended period of time until we get into July. I think those sea surface temperatures are sort of bowed, maybe give a slight indication of a good scenario, a favorable scenario for the monsoon. That's, that's my take on it, particularly in light of the fact that it has been uh, a much above average temperature situation over the last three months. And, you know, I, I, I would expect that those sea surface temperatures are going continue to increase as they do at this time and they'll be continue to be above average and when the conditions are right uh it'll move more moisture into the region that that's my take do you do you do you have a rebuttal against that no no i, I agree i i think that the you know the the gulf the the sea surface temperatures in the gulf are a lagging indicator of what the weather's been doing anyways and so i you know i think last year we ended up having that weak trough off of the california coast that messed with the monsoon the whole year. And I think that, that that was an impact on the sea surface temps in the Gulf of California. And I, I can't remember what the evolution of them would look like right. throughout the season. But the fact that we've ended, ended up under this ridge is, I think, aiding and abetting the uh, Gulf of California sea surface temps. It certainly isn't hurting them. You know, you don't want to have downwind flow down the Gulf of California because that, that will lead to the opposite effect that we're looking for. We want up we want the flow to be up the Gulf of California, which will, will help it sustain those high temperatures and, you know, give off that moisture that we can use. I've got the, the North American multi-model ensemble, which has seven different models in it from U.S. and Canada. There's a couple different patterns that maybe is more consistent across these seven than, than not consistent. And that is, again, for Arizona and New Mexico, there's no real... Uh, rainfall, it's not, the, the models aren't leaning one way or the other, you know, and that sort of goes to the, the, the Climate Prediction Center's equal chances forecast that we spoke to a minute ago. But the other thing is, all but two, it looks like, of the models kind of call for above rainfall in the Sierra Madre Occidental. So that to me, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you want to sort of extract out of this, but that at least is an inconsistent signal from what I just spoke about uh, and may suggest that, you know, if you, if you got a lot of rain down there and, and you get some other atmospheric dynamics in place that you really can't predict at, at, at this kind of a, a, a window, then there, there's, there's the moisture there. Conversely, there's kind of always the moisture there, right? I mean, last year was not good for Mexico as well. It was, it was kind of a, a poor monsoon all the way. So I, I completely agree with you. If, if, Northern Mexico is having a good monsoon. It's, it's harder for us to have, I think. I think it's harder for us to have a, a bad monsoon. You've got to have other things kind of competing with each other uh, at that point. The NMME, the multi-model ensemble mean is a wash. The, I, the international multi-model ensemble, though, it's got a really weird, dry, really, see that really dry signal off of um, Mexico. That's over the Sierra Madres. It's a, it's a very dry signal. But, but the, the North American multi-model ensemble, we're getting into the weeds here. We are. But it's, again, it's these, these competing forecast signals. They're not converging, which I think is a, is a good sign in the sense that <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's the glass half full 
idea that none of them are saying it's going to be terribly bad. So maybe there's some information in that. Yeah. Okay. So now uh, we got to think a little bit about uh, what we think the monsoon is going to look like. So let me try to introduce this game. We're calling it Horseshoes, Hand Grenades, and the Monsoon. So what this is, is uh, for the next three months, we've picked five sites across Arizona, New Mexico that are, are in the, the major cities. So Tucson, uh, Phoenix, Flagstaff, Albuquerque, and uh, El, pa El Paso. What we're going to do is we're going to guess for each month what the precipitation or what decile the precipitation will fall in. Okay. So basically a decile, um, let's say there's a, a, a hundred um, data points for Tucson. So a uh, uh, hundred years of data, the decile splits those hundred years, sorts them from low to high, splits those hundred years into 10 equal bins of, uh, of 10 data points. So your, your zero to 10% decile is your lowest 10 values on the record and your 10 to 20% is your, is your next 10 and so on and so forth. So each of those deciles or those bins um, have a particular precipitation range that are defined by the lowest and highest value in that, in that bin. Okay, so our task, Mike, is for each of those cities, for each month, uh, and we'll, we'll do this, the next pod we'll, we'll, we'll do for uh, August, we're, we're gonna uh, predict right now for uh, July. But for each month and for each of those cities, we pick what we expect the decile to be. Okay, now, we get points for being close. We get more points for, for being spot on. So we get a, if we hit a bullseye, we get 10 points. And if we're just one category off, high or low, we get five points. And if we're two categories off, we get one point. A perfect prediction per month would be 50 points. So we get 10 points for each of the, the five cities. And then a perfect guess, perfect prediction over the course of the monsoon season would be 150 points. Okay. Now you can get zero points is, 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 is the low value. I don't expect that'll happen, Mike, particularly from you. I expect you'll get half the points. That's my- well, Thanks, Zach. <laughs> we're we're going to make our, our guesstimates for this first month. Okay. Why don't you, why don't you walk us through what you, uh, what you chose? Ah, uh, okay. So I, so Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff, Albuquerque, and El Paso. I chose the 30 to 40 decile for Phoenix, 40 to 50 for Tucson, 30 to 40 for Flagstaff, Albuquerque, and El Paso. So I'm leaning a little bit dry just off of climatology mostly because I was traumatized by last year. <laughs> That's your rationale. Any, anything, anything in the observations that are, that, are, that are causing you to go, I mean, that is a consistent scenario here. I'm a little traumatized from last year of really expecting the monsoon to settle in and it was just quite miserable. And it was amazing how miserable it was as you went up to like Flagstaff and uh, northern parts of, of Arizona. So. But I got a different take on last year. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're right. It was, I mean, I think Flagstaff was like record dry and, and, and it was sort of dismal. Yeah. But there was also a, a ton of moisture around and it felt like a few random things needed to happen 
and we would have had a pretty good monsoon season. Like we had the moisture there. We just couldn't like sponge it out of the atmosphere. Last year, this actually came out of, of um, Paul from the weather service in Phoenix when he did his, the postmortem on the monsoon. He pointed out that the moisture as you went to Northwest Arizona was very, was much below average. So there was a sharp gradient in moisture from Southeast Arizona to Northern Arizona. And it really had to do with the ridge position and that pesky trough off of California. And so instead of the ridge position being sort of built North and all of us being under this dome of moisture, the moisture was shunted and broke right across kind of Tucson into the Southeast. And so it really wasn't, it was unusually dry, even atmospheric humidity uh, as you went further north. So I'm a little worried this weather pattern with this weird trophy thing that's been off of the, the West Coast. I, it looks a little bit like last year. I don't think it's anything like last year of what, as far as the forcings. It could go away really, really quickly, but I'm kind of, <laughs> for July, I'm holding not that far off of, climatology, but I'm also a tiny bit pessimistic. And I'm, a little, I'm pessimistic for the northern, is further north you go too. And I'm looking at the July values for last year, and they are really dismal for those five cities. So Tucson, 45% of its average, long-term average. Phoenix, 7%. Flag, 30%. Albuquerque, 81%. The only one that's decent in El Paso, 8%. So boy, pretty dismal. You're right. But I just think uh, if a few things would have been different, then if, uh, maybe Tucson and Southeast Arizona would, would have uh, actually come, come out with, a, with, with an okay monsoon, if not uh, an average one. It's also the luck of the draw with where the rain gauges are too, because there, there were pockets that did fine. Right. Last year. Yep. Okay. Anything else you want to say before I launch into mine? Nope. I want to hear from you. And then uh, I think Ben's got to explain. Yeah, Ben's got, Ben's got some too. Um, okay. So you and I are kind of polar opposites, which, we didn't plan this, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we have some, something different logics here. So uh, for Phoenix, I went 40 to 50% decile. For Tucson, I'm, I'm bullish, 60 to 70%. Flag, 60 to 70%. So we're really different there. And then Albuquerque and El Paso uh, are, are, are slightly below average at 40 to 50%. So my logic is based both on some of the existing signals, but also uh, a sort of random assortment of uh, probably meaningless statistics. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm taking this early June thing as a, as a good omen. I, that's based on nothing. I, I think it's a good omen, though, that we, we had some unusualness to talk about and, and to experience. But I do think that the sea surface temperatures uh, off the coast of uh, uh, Gulf of California can come into play here. And, and also uh, what we talked about in the, in the models, there's some indication that the Sierra Madres uh, uh, may be slightly wetter at, uh, in the start of the monsoon. So I think those bode well for perhaps a, a better scenario than last year. So I'm not that, uh, it's not a depressing scenario like it was last year. So some of my random assortment of statistics is, so I just, I, I kind of was toying with the idea. My, my first inclination was like, well, why wouldn't I just go all the same signal, uh, the same signal for all of the stations, right? Yeah, why, why wouldn't you? Right, well, so I looked at that. Um, and so I just said, okay, well, how many times, what was the average number uh, of positive values 
across those stations each, each year and above average and below average. So it turns out, sorry, it turns out that on average, one and a half of the stations, so that's kind of a funky number, but one and a half of the stations were above average, two and a, uh, three and a half were below average. So they weren't all the same. Is okay. the point. Okay. So okay. you, and so that fuels, I've got two above average and three below average. That's very interesting. Okay. Uh, so that's how I picked uh, those numbers. And then I was like, well, are there stations that are correlated with each other? Uh, and it turns out that the, that they're not really correlated with each other. And I was trying to use this. I was like, well, if I go above average for Tucson, should I also do it for Phoenix? And the highest correlation is actually 0.5. And that's between El Paso and Albuquerque. And that's why I chose the same signal for uh, Albuquerque and, and El Paso. And then the rest of the correlations are at most Phoenix and flag are correlated uh, by uh, 0.4. And everything else is uh, you know, Tucson and flag is 0.3. Albuquerque and Tucson, as one can imagine, is pretty far away is 0.1. So there's not a ton of correlation. So there is quite a bit of variability at, this, at the monthly level uh, across these stations. So it doesn't make a ton of sense to pick one signal, dry or, or, or wet, and stick with that. Okay, I, that's very interesting. So I'm sorry, I have to root for you getting <laughs> both of them wrong at the same time, which I think would be really, really hilarious, is if, if they do indeed go exactly the opposite directions um, and cancel each other out. So there are years in which all of them had the same sign. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just on, and this is an artifact of, of averaging, right? Like it, it's just on average, um, that wasn't the case. And more often than not, they're around two and three have the same sign than one and four. Holy moly, you really thought this through. I hope well, it pays I'm off. i a little bit of time, because which I didn't say beforehand, there is uh, beer on the line here. There is. Uh, uh, and I don't know if Ben wants to chime in on his logic. Sure. <laughs> he, he should, because... I leaned hard into this uh, horseshoes idea and I made my guesses about the way I make play horseshoes, which is just to close my eyes and let her rip. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to work my way up. Uh, El Paso and Albuquerque, I just decided, okay, I, I think they're going to have a wet July. So I went 60 to 70% for Albuquerque and 70, 80% for El Paso. Conveniently, that runs opposite to what you guys said. So if, if I'm right, that means I know you're wrong. So we're good there. Flagstaff, I was a little pessimistic about for really no good reason other than I just figured uh, dry. Um, Tucson, I went really low on at the 20 to 30 percent decile. Again, very much hoping that I'm wrong, but uh, after last year and just kind of what's going on right now, it's hard not to be a little pessimistic. And then Phoenix, I have to admit, um, I'm gaming the system a little bit because I do not think we're going to hit the 60 to 70 percent decile. It does not take much rain to get there, so all it would take is for one storm to to push through and I'd get my little 10 points there. And since you guys are down in the low end of the distribution, uh, I figured that's my chance to get out ahead because definitely did not put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> so. No, that's good. And there's so much variability across the th three of us. Uh, it is kind of amazing. I was actually expecting much more uh, similarity than dissimilarity. And that's not what I got here. I kind of do mean to wish this on you, Ben, but I, I hope it rains really, really hard right next to the station, but not on the station. <laughs> yeah. You mean for the Phoenix? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yes, yes, for your one. And that's certainly possible. <laughs> so. All right. So Ben, you have anything else you want to say about that, or should I? No, we'll we'll, we'll throw together a little visualization that shows what these plots or what these uh, guesses look like, just so folks can see, because uh, the text doesn't, you know, it's like percentages and things. And so we'll we'll put together a little thing that visualizes this for folks for the podcast. So that's right. When we send this out, uh, we'll 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 tally up. Uh, we'll provide a an explanation of the game and 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 show our our estimates. And if all goes well, we'll have a form that folks can fill out and guess themselves. And I'll just leave that as a standalone in case that ends up not being true. I can just cut that out. So, right. And this is not gambling. This is, there's no monetary gain. And we're not making any money. And uh, quietly, we're not <laughs> trading beer either. That's what the lawyers told me to say. Do we have any lawyers? We probably do. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, excellent, man. I am really, really excited about this, this, this monsoon season. We need a little uh, excitement in our lives these days. Uh, well, maybe we don't. We, we have the bighorn fire to, to look at, but the monsoon is a nice excitement. So yeah, anything else? Any final parting shots? I hope my pessimism is not warranted. And it's not yeah. even that pessimistic, so. It's not, but I, I don't know. Maybe my memory is, is failing me, but I always thought you were you were optimistic or am I misremembering about the monsoon? I was until the Godzilla El Nino. And then last summer, it, it kind of took all of the, my, uh, you know, climate exceptionalism out, out of me now. I don't, I just don't have it anymore. I, no, I look fondly. I mean, I, 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 my memory has like encoded, you know, I think it was July 2018 or was it 2017, the, the really epic July. And that has imprinted uh, over all of my monsoon memories. And so that's all I see. I know every year you talk about it. Was it, was it 2018 or 2017? They actually both were quite good for Tucson. But yeah. you know which one? I, there was one that was like, there was like a two week, like 17 day span that was just like epic. Yeah, I think it was 2017. That was when the, in Tucson, they were, the storms would just roll over the Catalinas and, and consume it. Yeah. All right, so should we prelude at all uh, next podcast, Mike? Uh, yeah, so um, we're going to, take a, a deep dive into the moisture sources, I think next time, talk a little bit more about some monsoon mechanics, you know, read some papers, try to make sense of them and have, <laughs> try, to, try to talk about them in a sensical way. Hopefully we can kind of explain them. But I think at that point, hopefully we're in monsoon moisture, so it'll be quite timely to talk about it. So this idea of we're gonna to continue to talk about the mechanics of the monsoon as we understand them kind of going forward here. Excellent. As always, gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Yes. Take care all and uh, happy monsoon. Yep. Happy monsoon. All right. We golden? Yeah, let me mute and drop offs because the sound is better. <laughs>